Hey, basketball fans, before we get into the show, we just want to say thanks for your continual support of Around the Rim. And while you're catching up on women's basketball, you should also check out the Woj Pod hosted by NBA basketball insider Adrian Wojnarowski for all things on the men's side you may have missed. You can find the Woj Pod in the same places you find Around the Rim. This is Around the Rim with Lachina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of your ESPNW podcast, women's basketball podcast, that is, Around the Rim. This is also our first episode of 2021, so happy new year to everyone. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, and we have a lot to cover. It's been a while since we put a podcast out there. I think our last one was a recap of the 2020 WNBA season that we did with Rebecca Lobo. We encourage you all to go back and check out our WNBA podcast as well uh, from 2020 because there was a lot happening, as you know. And on this podcast today, we are going to talk about WNBA. We have Elizabeth Williams from the Atlanta Dream joining us to talk about the movement of the league and their support of now Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. Uh, We also have Michelle Vopel joining us, one of our favorite guests, ESPNW writer, to talk about some of her biggest surprises of 2021. Um, Yes, college basketball is still happening in the COVID times that we're in, um, but basketball is still being played. So a lot of things to catch up on, to talk about, but we hope that you are all doing well, starting with my producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, who is filling in under the alias Beyonce. The reason why she's coming in um, under that name is because she has gone worldwide since the last time we taped the podcast. Tarika has been doing a little bit of everything. Um, You may have seen her face on some different sports debate shows. She's had various articles written about her as a producer, as a writer, as so many things that she does out here in the world. So we're just glad that Tarika made time for us today on Around the Rim podcast. And if you want to know why you don't see Tarika's face on any of our clips is because she only does makeup for high profile appearances, um, makeup and hair. And Around the Rim does not fit the requirements. So, Tarika, we are very happy to still have your voice and glad that you could make time for us today. I see that of all the things that has carried over into 2021, the shade has absolutely come with it. So thank you for the shade, Little China. However, I just had a rough day and I was like, you know what? Today is just not the day that I am camera ready, but it's okay. LaChina looks wonderful for all of us. She's holding it down. I am never too big for first the irony that this criticism would come from the individual who for a whole month was not on the podcast. We had forgotten that this was around the rim with LaChina Robinson because we heard everybody else's voices, but LaChina Robinson. Listen, listen. I am happy to see you too. We're both back, everyone. We're happy to have you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, We hope you're okay because Tariq and I also recognize that there's a lot going on in our world and in particular in our country. 
And we just want to make sure everyone is taking good care of yourself. We are going to talk a little bit about what's happening in our country as well as what happened last week in the Georgia Senate race during this show. Um, as I said to Tarika, no, we're not a political podcast, but there is an intersection um, as you could clearly yeah. see if you're paying attention to what happened last week between sport and um, and politics, quite frankly. And so we are going to have a, a, a number of discussions, but we're also going to talk about college women's basketball. So much to talk about. Thank you for being here with us. You can join the conversation on social. I am at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. Tarika's at she knows sports underscore. And we are at Around the Rim Pod on Twitter, Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. And so we will have a more extended conversation with Tarika as far as what she's been up to next week when she decides to formally join the podcast, which we don't know if she'll have time to do. But for now, let's kick it to the first quarter. First quarter. All right, basketball fans. Well, um, we are welcoming one of our favorite guests to our ESPNW Around the Rim podcast, none other than the, and you guys know how much I respect and love Michelle Vopel, but to me, she is the bar and the goat when it comes to writing, covering, um, bringing historical perspective to women's college basketball as well as WNBA. So we excited. We are excited to welcome Michelle Vopel back to the show. Um, Michelle, I would be remiss if I did not just first ask you, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Oh, that's a good one. First off, thank you for everything you say. I think that's a nice way of saying I'm old and, <laughs> and that's okay. I, I am, but um, age is a number, right? And my number's uh, getting pretty close to 56, but that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad to still be here and be doing this job. I'll tell you guys that for sure. Um, you know, I think my resolution, I was, I actually was thinking about that. I think my resolution was um, to try to be um, as, as gentle on social media as I possibly can be, which I generally do. And also when people get mad at us on social media, which they do, to not take it very hard and just say, hey, this is the, the best part of this is that people care. So if they think what I wrote that day was the dumbest thing they've ever read um, or that I'm so off base on something, rather than get mad about it, I'm going to say, I'm glad they're reading. They're right. reading women's basketball and they're passionate about it. So I think I might make that New, New Year's resolution every year. <laughs> so, but yeah, I always try to, you know, I, I really do always try to think about that, that I'm just glad that, uh, that they care. Well, let me just say first and foremost that if you are approaching the tender age of 56, I am just amazed at the fact that I see no gray hair in this beautiful new haircut that we talked about before coming on. So um, you're doing something right, Michelle. And then as far as social media, you're much better than I am because I just simply hit the block button and keep going. Um, and not that people can't disagree, but I just find that there are some people, it's the way they disagree um, that gets under my skin. And listen, I'm just not going to let someone that I don't even know raise my blood pressure. Like life is way too short, right? Um, so if there's someone in your mentions, Michelle, that is just continuing to get at you or is getting under your skin, send them to my DMs and I will handle them, okay? Um, you know what I that, want to tell people in China? Uh, DM me if you're really mad at me because I will talk to you, but I'm not yeah. going to fight you on, on Twitter. No. And 
if you're really, really mad, trust me, whatever you, whatever you're mad about, we could probably talk out. Cause usually people are just mad because they think their team shortchanged. Yeah. Well, yeah. well people are just mad because what we've learned in 2020, people are just mad because they're mad, right? Like they're just honestly a lot of mad, angry, dumb people in the world. I hate saying that. And I, everyone knows I am like always positive, always very encouraging, but I've just realized that, um, yeah, we've got some people in this world that uh, need to go and lay on the couch and um, take a take a nap and just rethink life and wake up with a more positive and encouraging attitude. So that's my resolution for everyone that's mean on social media. <laughs> I want to put that forward. All right. So, Michelle, we have so much that has happened in college women's basketball season and This is our first episode of Around the Rim of the college season. So we're not even going to come close to touching everything and having all the conversations we would like to. But we do want to um, use your brilliance to enlighten us on some things that are happening. And we're going to start with the biggest storyline, which is college basketball and COVID-19. The number of postponed games, cancellations, quarantines, um, you know, all it's, it's incredible how we're just so familiar with the verbiage and all the vocabulary now around, um, you know, what's happening with these teams. But long story short is we've seen a lot of games go away. Some of our biggest, most anticipated games going away, including most recently UConn versus Baylor because uh, Kim Mulkey tested positive for COVID. We send our thoughts and prayers to Kim Mulkey, but there are some teams in this country that have played one game that have played three games. Mm -hmm. There's been cancellations of entire seasons, including Duke women's basketball. I mean, this has been the craziest season I know that I've ever been a part of. And yes, it's a crazy time in our country as well, but what do you see as the impact at this time of COVID-19 on women's college basketball. You know what, China, what's interesting is how it sort of pointed out that even though coaches are known as being control freaks, they've had to let that go and sort of say, um, hey, we've, we've um, done our whole scouting report, report for Team X, but that's out the window right now. We're playing Team Y <laughs> tomorrow. And we're just going to do the best we can. And then telling the players that. So I think it's, it's been interesting how maybe people have had to explore different aspects of their personality. Um, And that's not easy for everybody. I think we're all hardwired a little bit differently. Some of us have to be wherever we're going to go 35 minutes early. And some of us pack a day before we're going to leave. And some of us are packing while we should already be on the road to the airport, right? So we're all a little different in terms of how we adjust to changes and how we, how much preparation we need for what we're going to do. So I think that's been one of these things where it's whether you are good at this or not good at this, you have to accept it. You have to accept those changes. And so the players uh, have had to adjust to it and the coaches have had to adjust to it. The other thing is exactly what you said, which is how do we gauge this season? You know, we, we have such a disparity, even in, um, you know, the conference rankings, you look at something like I was looking at the ACC last night, you have some teams that have played seven conference games and some that have played two. Uh, we've never had any situation like that before. So, um, 
we can assume, unfortunately, this is probably going to continue. There's still going to be um, incidents of, of COVID-19 coming up. So how is the committee going to, you know, seed this tournament? That's, that's going to be a challenge. There's no question about it. Um, those are all the basketball aspects of it, or at least some of them. And then there's a the human aspect of it. How are these players dealing with this? You know, Stanford players have been away from home since December. Um, that, that I'm sure can be challenging. Um, players not getting a chance to see their parents or grandparents or going home for Christmas or, you know, the things that athletes need to, to try to recharge their batteries. Uh, you always hope that there's very readily available and helpful mental health for players, but you really hope that that's the case now, because I'm sure a lot of them are going through things that um, they, they need. They need somebody to listen. They need somebody to, to help them deal with probably things that are very stressful for them and, and their families. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's very interesting because there seems to be a lot of different opinions about what should be happening. What shouldn't be, should we be playing? Should we not? Should we have been in a bubble? You know, all, when should we get tested? How often should we get tested? How many conference games should there be? It's 13 too many games to expect, you know, the NCAA has put that down as the bare minimum to qualify for the NCAA tournament. And some people think, you know, maybe that's too high. So there's all kinds of opinions, but I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is the difference in how some coaches and teams are handling this versus others. And there are some that are saying, we want to be on the court. We want to play. Um, you know, we're excited about this season. And even if we have to quarantine here and there, whatever we've got to do, we just want to be on the basketball court. There are some coaches I've talked to that are like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through as a leader. And this is, this is really tough. Um, you know, there are some teams that have spent stretches of weeks away from the basketball court in order to comply with COVID-19 um, protocols, regulations, policy, all of the above. So we're saying, yes, you want to play, but then you're not playing. And then you're in isolation. And sometimes as you're quarantined, you're away from people. Um, so there is, there are, are various challenges. And then there's the resources to even test and to um, put your team or your program in position to continue their season. Not everyone has the same level of resources. Not everyone's getting tested the same. I know there is a baseline for some schools. There's a baseline for some conferences, but then there's some that are testing every day and um, how that weighs on, on mental health. And so I get the aspect that, um, you know, some people just want to play basketball because it was, it's what takes them away from COVID and all the issues of our world. And it's what actually helps them um, from a mental health standpoint. But we do have to understand that there's a spectrum. Um, and my thoughts, and I tip my hat to everyone in the leadership position in college athletics right now, because I know it's not easy. Um, but you mentioned the NCAA tournament and you know, of course, the NCAA started their net rankings, right, which is taking over for the RPI. So we do have them now ranking um, using the net equation. But that, to me, I don't think is going to be the proper tool either to um, evaluate those who could possibly be a part of the NCAA tournament, because 
scheduling is a part of that road games, you know, different things that are beyond the control this year, at least of these coaches of these programs. So how can they be judged on these things that are beyond their control? So we do hope to hear at some point, um, you know, from the NCAA on how they are going to evaluate talent for this year's um, NCAA tournament. I have yet to hear anything. I don't know if you have, I don't think so, but, um, we're, we're waiting. We're definitely waiting for those answers. And one thing I will say is something I've, I've continued to just preach in regards to what each team should be focused on this year is being at your best because there's no even playing field. Like you said, Stanford hasn't even, isn't even playing in their, in their home arena. You know, like imagine what that does for a team. Imagine the the level of disadvantage that they are at, Um, you know, for teams that have had to take more breaks versus less breaks for teams that have had players opt out for, I mean, there's all kinds of variables out there. So I just say the bar is being at the best that you can be as a team with all of your specific obstacles in mind, whatever you've had to face, only you, your team and your program understand. So you set your own bar, but then that makes it incredibly harder for us to define a field, which I do understand. So um, a lot of moving pieces with that, but with that happening, we've also had a lot of historical moments um, happening and one that is about to happen uh, Wednesday, if the Connecticut Huskies are able to get a win is we've already had Tar Vanderveer, Stanford's head coach, past Pat Summit as the all-time winningest coach. And now Gino Ariema has tied Pat Summit for the all-time. No, no, now it's no longer all-time because Tara has surpassed him, but he is getting ready to pass Pat Summit, which is always a very, I don't know about you, Michelle, but it, it, anytime we talk about Pat Summit, it evokes a lot of emotion and a lot of thought around our game and her impact there. So um, tell us a little bit about what you know about this record and what you saw, not only with Tara, but what we're getting ready to see with Gino. I think what comes to mind is that these are coaches who stood the test of time, which is hard to do no matter what you're coaching. And that they all kind of brought out the best in each other. You know, at different times, they they all, and and I use the present term, Obviously, Coach Summit isn't with us anymore, and and we all grieve that. I think we grieve that daily during the season. There's no time you don't think about her. That's how big a presence she was. But um, they brought out the best in each other. You, you think back, um, and Tariq will uh, appreciate this. You think back, the the one of the biggest milestones in men's college basketball was that Larry Bird Magic Johnson game, you know, Indiana State, Michigan State in, in 1979. And I was, I'm old enough, I was 14 to remember that going into that game, everybody said, this is one of the biggest basketball games in history. And it stood the test of time. We still think about it. The UConn-Tennessee game on Martin Luther King Day in 1995 is, is like that for the women. You know, that, that first meeting of these two powerhouses setting up this rivalry. And I think when we, when we reflect on these big numbers, what we're really reflecting on is um, it is a, a coach who's been able to put this, put these things together year after year after year, you know, to, to keep striving for excellence. And then, like I said, bring out the best in each other. Cause they're all competitors, you know, uh, Gino's had the best of it for national championships 
but Pat was really the first, you know, she was of the three of them. She was the one that broke through and, and, and became, you know, made women's basketball a, a bigger household name, you know, as a sport. And then Tara has held up the West Coast, you know, I mean, for years, Tara was holding the West Coast alone, honestly. Um, and thankfully, and we've all appreciated this, there's been a, a resurgence of, of Pac-12 teams. And it's now a conference that's a lot of fun to watch. I know we'll, we'll be talking more about uh, uh, Washington State, you know, because that's the, the latest of the Pac-12 teams to have um, have a surge. And, and I do want to say this, Lachina, because I think it really matters. Tara always talked up the Pac-12 always, even when the other teams weren't that good, she still wanted to, to talk up her conference and talk up West Coast basketball. And I give her a lot of credit for that because she didn't just want it to be about Stanford. She wanted it. And, and you could say the same thing for Pat about all of women's basketball, that she, she understood it couldn't just be about Tennessee. I think we'll be thinking about all those things when Gino, you know, cross, you know, he's going to pass Pat. Um, we're going to be thinking about all of that. These three architects of, of women's basketball and what they've meant and how they're still impacting the game. Even Pat not being with us. Um, I, I don't know. I know. I'm sure you thought this um, recently when you had two former Tennessee players, you know, Nikki McCray, Penson and Kyra Elsey facing off um and and we have more than that you know obviously you have kelly harper and, and um, nikki fargus in the sec but all four of those former lady vols um it's like the pebble right that drops into the into the stream and just keeps ripples keep going out you know pat's ripples will keep going forever yeah i mean there are three giants in our game, no doubt. I mean, I always say, I mean, women's basketball would not be where it is without Pat, Gino, Tara, whether it's college women's basketball, WNBA, where their players have been um, represented in big numbers and have been a driving force in the success of that league, or it's USA basketball. You know, I think about Tara Vanderveer really getting this all started in 96 with the Olympic team, the one gold in Atlanta that started the WNBA. I mean, so much history of our game. And, and then even when you, when you boil it down to, I mean, we, we look at it from a big picture standpoint, but what about the impact they've had in the way the game is played on the court and the way that everyone wants to coach? I mean, every coach wanted to have, you know, that Pat Summit toughness and teams that defense, played defense and rebounded the way our team uh, always did. And, you know, everyone wants their offensive execution and their transition to look like Connecticut's. I mean, they're the gold standard, you know, Tara was able to implement the triangle offense um, in a way that no other college women's basketball program had been able to, to use. And so, um, you know, even how they just changed the game. I mean, at, at every level is incredible. So um it is very sad. I was thinking about it when we were celebrating Tara passing Pat Summit. And I'm thinking to myself, every time I see a picture of Pat Summit, every time someone mentions her name, I immediately, I'm just sad. I feel a sad, a level of sadness. So I can imagine what it's like for her players. Every time there's a record that comes up or, you know, a conversation about her and that's happening very often, um, you know, this college season that, um, her name is mentioned, how that must bring just, um, I know they're proud, but also very sad because we miss her, but we're excited for Gino. 
And, um, you know, congrats to Coach Ariyama, as we know this will happen at some point before our next podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, congratulations to Coach Ariyama. All right, fans, um, we are going to head into the second quarter and talk to Michelle about some of her biggest surprises coming right up. Second quarter, inside the huddle. All right, basketball fans, second quarter, and it's time to go inside the huddle with Michelle Vopel, and we're going to get to some of her biggest surprises so far of the college women's basketball season. But starting off, we're recapping the big game between the Kentucky Wildcats and South Carolina um, that just took place on Sunday evening. And Michelle, I mean, I did not know what to expect. South Carolina coming off of a time of, of quarantine due to COVID-19. They had been away from the court, from what I understand and hearing from Carolyn Peck uh, and Courtney Lyle. They had not gotten to practice very much before taking this game. Um, and then a Kentucky team that has been very impressive under the leadership of Kyra Elzey, um, who in her first stint as a head coach has not disappointed. I mean, the Wildcats, it's interesting. They're a team that they start off usually kind of slow and then she coaches them up and they always make a burst at the end, but they've won some, some pretty eye-opening games this year behind the play of Ryan Howard, who I, I mean, there is a lot of talent in, in college women's basketball right now, but she's definitely my favorite to watch. What stood out to you about South Carolina's win over Kentucky? I think uh, one of the things is that um, Aaliyah Boston, you know, when, when the, I guess you say the chips are down, she's, she comes up big. And I'm not saying she doesn't the rest of the time, but her numbers may not always be eye popping every game. Um, South Carolina always has a lot of talent and different people. Zaya Cook's scoring average is way up this year. But when I was watching that game, I, I like to live in the moment, but I also sometimes think of the future. And I'm thinking, yeah, Leah Boston and, and uh, Ryan Howard in the WNBA. I mean, they just you can just see how these, these are players that, uh, you know, are next generation type players for the league. And that's really fun. Uh, Destiny Henderson had a terrific game and just her ability to impact games uh, in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, she's, she's so quick, quick and fast uh, and, and kind of fearless, you know, and, and I think that's a a mentality that um, has helped South Carolina. You know, she's not like afraid to make mistakes. You know, she's, she's, she's going to be out there and saying, okay, right. I, I, I've got to use my speed. I've got to understand how to use it. And, and Dawn Staley talked about that, but I also have to make things happen. And uh, that's, that's, I think something that we, we saw yesterday. She, they needed to make some things happen after trailing at halftime and she and, and, uh, and Aaliyah led the way for that happening. Yeah. I mean, there was a total change in momentum and energy and um, you know, Ryan Howard ended up with 32 points on the game. I thought she was fantastic in particular in the first half, but something happened at halftime. And my guess would be Dawn Staley happened and really lighting a fire under her team and Aaliyah Boston. I mean, between hitting the three pointer, she was one from one from long range. Um, She had 20 points, 12 rebounds. um, But leading the break in transition with some defense on her. A lot of some post players can handle the ball in transition when there's, you know, it's a wide open fast break, but in some defense, I was just impressed with her versatility, her versatility. Um, She has not had what I would have expected in terms of her overall, just 
production this season, but God, I mean, really who has, it's been a lot, really hard for a lot of student athletes coming off of what was just a very difficult, um, you know, off season going back to March um, and the inconsistencies with the quarantining and, and all of that. Um, you know, I don't know what it is exactly with, with Aaliyah Boston, but um, you know, she is starting to really come into her own. And especially when you watch a game like last night, but you can't underscore the importance of, of a Ty Harris and a Kiki Herbert Harrigan. I know South Carolina came in ranked number one into the season, but those two players are huge different make, difference makers. I mean, they're first round draft picks in the WNBA. So it was going to take some time for not just Aaliyah, but South Carolina to really come into their own. And I thought yesterday was a game where they took a lot of big steps forward. And you mentioned Destiny Henderson, 22 points, um, was eight for 17 from the field and it, you don't just replace a Ty Harris, right? Um, and for her to have the impact that she had on that game, I just thought was tremendous. Again, like you said, using her speed and attacking off of the bounce where she can. I think Ty Harris, Ty Harris may have been first round. I may have got that wrong, but I know she was a pick pretty early in the WNBA draft. But um, so the South Carolina Gamecocks are coming along. Now, I mentioned that Kentucky had a couple of big wins, you know, this season. They did um, beat Mississippi State, a very good team. They also beat Arkansas. Um, but they lost to Texas A&M coming to the, into this game against uh, South Carolina. And A&M, I think, may have moved up to my top five or in my top ten, firmly in my top ten for my AP poll. I'll check that while you're talking, Michelle. But um, Gary Blair has got quite a group. I mean, we watched Jordan Nixon score, which would become the winning basket against Arkansas on Sunday night in a – crazy game that just ended with a lot of dramatics but Jordan Nixon is not the leading scorer of this team for Gary Blair and that just tells you how much depth they have with Aaliyah Wilson, India Jones, um, Sierra Johnson, Alexis Morris, Kayla Wells. Um, What are you seeing in this Texas A&M team and are they maybe a little bit um, under the radar right now? It's so interesting you say that because I remember like the one of the first zooms of this season was uh, that I was on uh, was Texas A&M and DePaul after watching that game and just, you know, talking to Gary about like this team has so much depth. I mean, a lot of depth and having lost Kennedy Carter, maybe some people just, you know, were so focused on the loss of Kennedy Carter. They didn't realize that. Um, now a lot of that spotlight, if you will, is, is very, you know, is a, 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 with a lot of different players on that team. It's not just, you know, one player that's getting a lot of attention. Yes. Um, I, I, I think Texas A&M is a final four team. I, I, I really do. And, and it, and it makes the SEC um, so interesting because obviously South Carolina is a final four team. And if things, depending on what they're, um, you know, what happens in the tournament, you could see a Kentucky, you know, uh, we don't want to rule out Mississippi state. You know, I, I don't think they're quite at the level of a, of a South Carolina or a Texas A&M now, but mm-hmm. some great matchups and, and even Arkansas, you know, with all the, the veteran experience at guard. But um, I, I just, I, I really, from the start of this season, I've thought, boy, Texas A&M's really good. And, and they, they've, they've, um, 
they've maintained a sort of, uh, they keep getting better, I feel like. And the, the other interesting thing, of course, is they don't play, they don't play South Carolina until the very end of the regular season. We're kind of all like, wow, now we want to see them against South Carolina. We're going to have to wait a while for that. And, uh, you know, hope, hope COVID <laughs> doesn't, doesn't uh, derail the season anymore, but I'm, I'm really excited to see how A&M continues to, to grow and thrive in this season. Yeah. And, and needless to say that Gary Blair is a huge fan of the transfer portal and all yeah. that's happened there because a number of his additions have come as transfers and um, you know, it's just interesting. And we didn't hit on this when we talked about COVID earlier on, but again, this is a forgivable season, if you will, where um, you know, all of the student athletes who are playing college basketball right now at least have the option to come back. I don't know what kind of control the coaches will have over whether that happens or not, or the um, athletic department, but the NCAA is calling it a forgivable season. So on a team that is as deep as Texas A&M, I mean, wow, they've got a ton of talent, a lot of fun to watch. And to your point about the SEC, Tennessee moved into the top 25 today, number 23 in the AP poll. So congratulations to Kelly Harper's group, um, who has really started to grow and gel together. I mean, I remember watching them earlier in the season and feeling like, okay, this team's got so much potential because they're athletic and they're long and, you know, they can get out in passing lanes and, and all of that. But um, they really started to come together and have jumped into the top 25. Another team that has jumped into the top 25, Washington State, making their appearance out of the Pac-12 at number 25. And this is a really big deal because this is a team that has never been ranked in the top 25 in the history of their program. So this is, this is something historic and that may come as a surprise to some because we know the Pac-12 is deep. They've got Stanford, they've got US, UCLA, they've got Arizona, but coming off of an overtime win over Arizona, the Cougs are in, Michelle. Tell us about Washington State. I tell you what, LaChina, um, Again, you can't overstate how bleak <laughs> the history of Washington State at times has been. You know, they've had years, they had one year they did not win a conference game. The program's been in existence since 1970, and they've never been ranked. They've gone to one NCAA tournament, which was 30 years ago, 1991. Uh, since 91, they've had three winning records and they were barely winning records during that time they haven't had a single 20 win season that's a lot to take on for a new coach cammy etheridge came in there in 2018 and part of her goal was to say let's not let's try not to look at the enormity of how how tough the past has been and move into the future uh, that's again it's not easy to do and part of the way they've done it is recruiting internationally and, and Washington State had done that even before she got there, but they're really all in internationally now. And I, you know, what we saw yesterday, um, how just how big of a factor their international players are. So, you know, it's good to see because uh, this is a program that's not going to take for granted a top 25 ranking. It's, it's monumental for them. And I, and I hope they celebrate it. I know coaches always are like, they're always worried like that their players will get, you know, too high after a high, but at least for a day or two, I hope these kids just celebrate this and, you know, and Washington state fans, you know, around the country who, you know, maybe thought they'd never see this happen. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough road in the Pac-12. So who can say it's so early, you know, what this team is capable of. But what a beautiful moment for the program. And I know in your list of biggest surprises, which fans, if you have not read, Michelle came out 9.30 a.m. this morning on Monday, ESPN.com. Michelle Vopel's biggest surprises of the 2021 season. Another program that you wrote about, my alma mater, Wake Forest, as you said, making some noise in the ACC. They only have one appearance in the NCAA tournament back in 1988. And yes, I did not contribute to that appearance. I know everyone's always wondering uh, where I fit in the history of Wake Forest basketball. We didn't do very much, but um, the Deeks have really put together a stretch of games coming out of the break where they've been fantastic, just beating Boston College um, on Sunday, coming off a win against uh, Miami, um, Ivana Ratza is, is their leader, no doubt. She's in the top five in the ACC in scoring and rebounding. So happy for Wake Forest as well. And uh, Michelle, you know, just looking across, I don't know what the biggest um, headline is in women's college basketball. It, you know, Big Ten is is off to a, a raving start. Um, I know I believe Michigan State may have fallen out of the rankings, but I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in that conference or is it, you know, the, again, this this transfer bug that has helped teams like Texas A&M, the immediate eligibility, um, so many things happening and so many storylines. But um, one that stands out for me is definitely Michigan. Um, I know you had player of the week, Nas Hillman um, out of Michigan, but Kim Barnes Rico's team has something very special because they have senior leadership. They're a group that's very disciplined, very accountable, talented on the offensive and defensive end. And Nas Hillman is essentially unguardable. What stood out to you um, about her performance last week that made her player of the week? She just, uh, you, you're right. She's unguardable. She, uh, the, the game against Nebraska was a, a good example because I think the final score was 64, 62. I, I could be, it was something very similar to that. And she had 35 points. So she's taking care of basically, you know, almost half of, well, more than half of her team's points. And she's the one they're going to be keying on and they still couldn't stop her. And, and by the way, you're right about the big 10 because Nebraska is a team. They, you know, just beat uh, Michigan state gave Michigan a, a good run for their money. They're, they're yeah. another team. Nebraska's uh, the most confusing team for me right now in the country is just to note. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the other thing obvious about Hillman, you know, her mom was a terrific player at Vanderbilt, played a little bit in the ABL. You, you always like to see those second generation players and, and sort of celebrate them because of their connection to the history of the game. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see what the Michigan-Michigan State matchup, how that's going to go. That'll be coming up. A little bit of a, a you know, Michigan State had, had a couple of stumbles. Um They've had a little bit of a harder schedule, I think, so far than than Michigan because they've they've played Maryland too. Got to mention Maryland, of course, with the, uh, and then uh, Caitlin Clark with with Iowa, you know, and the the scoring sensation. Um, so, um, I, I really, it it's we've had the the COVID thing sort of hanging over uh, women's basketball, and yet, and yet you know, the basketball still comes through, you know, these, these cool stories. And um, I do have to say this, you know, sometimes I, I, I said this in, uh, in, the, in the column this morning about surprises. Um, every surprise, you know, that you'll say, somebody will say, oh no, I saw that coming. You know, that's kind of the way it is. But 
I do think we've had a couple surprises in Washington State is one of them that nobody saw coming. Maybe maybe Washington State saw it coming, but I don't think otherwise it, that happened. And that's always cool when when that takes place. Yeah, I mean, in in this being a different season, I think is going to allow for some of those storylines to evolve um, because some of the teams that may look great on paper, whether it's COVID or you know different issues along the way may not materialize the way we think they are. So that makes room for a Washington state that makes room for a wake forest. You know, some teams that have just maybe been able to play more consistently and haven't had as much stoppage. Like you just never know what a team's um, story or what their season is going to shape up to be. And so then you have those surprises, which are always fun and and nice to see. All right. Last but not least. And I do want to note um, just going back to the AP poll, Washington state is there this week at 25, Tennessee's at 23. Northwestern is a team that I'm going to give them a little time because they were late starting the season, but I think they're going to be a dangerous team. Texas did take a drop in the top 25 after losing to West Virginia, which I thought coming into this season, West Virginia, Um, had a chance to be really good. So we'll see if they can build some momentum off of that. Um, Not a a lot of changes um, in the top five, none really at all, with the exception of there being separation between North Carolina State and Connecticut. Connecticut is now firmly at four. Um, Baylor is six in the AP poll, but I told you I would get back to where Texas A&M was in my AP poll. They are six. So they are making a climb. (laughs) We'll see what happens for the Aggies. All right, just quickly looking ahead to what is next. Next, Michelle, um, really intriguing matchups coming up this weekend. And we mentioned Arizona a little bit and their loss to Washington State, but they're going to take on Oregon. Um, Ari McDonald, of course, is the headliner there for Arizona and just the job that Adia Barnes has done. So really excited to see them get some primetime love, honestly, um, and, and see them on ESPN Thursday at seven o'clock. Mississippi State will take on Texas A&M ESPN2 Sunday, um, and that is at 1 p.m. But the the game that I think has everyone's attention is number three NC State against number two Louisville ESPN 3 p.m. That's right, Sunday 3 p.m. on ESPN, a top five matchup between the Wolfpack and the Louisville Cardinals. Your thoughts on that matchup, Michelle, and what that may tell you about the ACC or the national landscape? Both of these teams, I think, are potential Final Four teams, and they're, they are the, the best of the ACC. Last year, of course, remember going into that game, there was a lot of hype, and, uh, and Louisville's defense pretty much dominated that game uh, last year. It was at, at NC State, and then NC State came back and won the, you know, the ACC tournament, although they didn't have to beat Louisville to do it. And we were all kind of waiting for how good is NC State team going to be in the NCAA tournament. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see that. So NC State had the big win this year, uh, non-conference win over uh, South Carolina real early in the season. I, I just like this team a lot. Um, I, I, we've, we sort of enjoyed watching what Wes Moore has done at that program and the way he's built that program. Then obviously Louisville is, is, has become one of the perennials, you know, in women's basketball. They're going to be good every year. Um, love watching Dana Evans, uh, one of my favorite players to watch. Haley Van Lith, one of the, the top young freshmen. So I, yeah, and, and hopefully, um, you know, NC State's been on a pause with COVID. So hopefully, you know, that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have this game. Nothing will get in the way of it. But it's, it's going to tell us a lot um, 
it's, it's going to be a big game in terms of who's ruling the roost in the, in the ACC. Yeah. I mean, I am so pumped for this game and I think it's a big moment for NC state because I believe as you do, that both of these teams are final four contenders, but that this could really send um, not that beaten South Carolina did not do a lot for NC state. I didn't think they played well. I mean, that game in itself was just not well played overall, but I think this could further cement the idea of, of what NC state women's basketball could be. Um, Wes Moore has done a fantastic job. They are one of my favorite teams to cover. They're very low maintenance. He does a great job in recruiting. Um, they're long, you know, talented. Elisa Kunane's fun to watch, but they've got a ton of players. Kayla Jones, um, they're just really good. And I actually have them ranked above Louisville in my poll. Um, you know, and just watching the games that I've watched NC State play versus those that I've watched Louisville play. But then you go to the other side. And as you mentioned with Dana Evans and, you know, what Jeff Walls can do um, in terms of his defensive game plans. I mean, you know, you've been watching Jeff as long as I have. He's one of the best at game planning and the physicality of Louisville, how they can mentally with their toughness, take you out of a, out of a matchup. I'm just interested to see how NC State responds to this challenge. But again, hoping that everyone has had time to practice and, yeah. you know, have, will have their full arsenal will be an important part of it. So a lot to look forward to. Michelle Vopel, we love you. We thank you for your time. As always, we appreciate you and um, come back and visit with us soon. Oh, thanks for having me. One of my favorite things to do is appear on your podcast. Appreciate it. Third quarter scouting report. All right, fans. Well, you asked for a deep dive into uh, the events of last week where the WNBA was involved of a, in a major movement to ultimately flip the Senate um, by putting their weight behind Senator, yes, we did say that. His name is now Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock of Georgia um, in what I would call in my opinion, Tarika, a historical movement, one that the WNBA has um, long embraced in terms of being on the forefront of what they believe in, what's right, human and civil rights. But um, I don't know that anyone saw what happened happening. And what I mean by that is I received an email on August 6th from someone from Reverend Raphael Warnock's campaign saying, hi, just passing along some information. Since players from across the WNBA wore their quote, vote Warnock shirts on Tuesday, the Warnock campaign raised more than $185,000 online, added more than 3,500 new grassroots donors and grew his Twitter followers by nearly 3,500. Now, the Tuesday that this email is referring to was when the WNBA players decided to wear Vote Warnock t-shirts um, to the game. Some wore them as warm-up t-shirts, but long story short, um, Reverend Raphael Warnock's opponent was the Atlanta Dream co-owner, Kelly Leffler. And this obviously was a major decision by the WNBA to get behind the campaign of Leffler's opponent, but if you go back to earlier in the summer, way before these t-shirts were a thing, Kelly Leffler had started to draw the line 
and create separation, quite frankly, between herself and the WNBA when she wrote a letter to Commissioner Kathy Engelbert saying that she felt like the WNBA should not dedicate their summer to the Black Lives Matter movement. She basically called it a Marxist movement, said that it promoted violence and destruction across the country, um, that it was divisive. And you can imagine in a majority Black league that her stance did not sit well with anyone. Now, Renee Montgomery, who's a member of her team, asked to speak to Kelly Leffler. She was never granted that conversation to even have a moment of enlightenment. Um, Kelly Leffler also posed with a well-known member of the KKK. She supported Donald Trump full throttle um, on a lot of things, which we know a lot of his views are very anti-WNBA. Um, and so this started way back in the summer. And so the players had already made it clear that they wanted Leffler out. And instead of continuing to make it about her, they made it about Reverend Warnock. They made it about how important it was to vote, um, bringing light to the fact that the reason why someone um, like Leffler, even though her, she did not have the traditional elected official process, but the reason why um, people who have views like Kelly Leffler are able to get in the position that they're in is because people don't vote. And so understanding how big this, this past year was or 2020 was around elections, um, they really started a, a, an incredible campaign that to me was um, the most impactful thing I've ever seen in sport. And now I haven't been alive a very long time, but um, they made a huge difference. I mean, I believe that Raphael Warnock was at like 9% when they got involved in, in this man People were asking, what is a Warnock when they were wearing that shirt? No one knew who he was. And they um, not only helped him to get a surge, but it educated so many people on what he was about, who he was, and why they should consider him for office. Now, Tariqa, I know you were watching this as well. What did you see transpiring um, in, in the movement? So there are a couple of things that come to mind when I think about this. Um, the first thing is one, um, for so many people who want to continue the adage that, you know, nobody watches the WNBA, well, apparently a lot of people do <laughs> because the numbers, um, the numbers specifically indicate that those who were watching and those who were paying attention um, made some adjustments in their thinking and made some adjustments in who they were possibly looking to vote for come November. Um, so that's one. Um, number two, I'm not surprised um, that the WNBA was able to accomplish this because these women have always been phenomenal and have always been at the forefront of social justice, stemming back to, you know, 2015 when the Minnesota Lynx were wearing I Can't Breathe shirts, you know, staring, you know, going back to um, the early 2000 when these women were putting on, you know, the front for LGBTQ rights. Like they've always been there. So, um, it, it doesn't surprise me and didn't surprise me that they were able to accomplish this in the manner in which they were. Um, what I also think is, is very important and, and 
is that they didn't settle for, you know, the no, we're not going to be able to remove Kelly Leffler or not even that that was specifically said, but actions do speak louder than words. So I love the way that they were able to find another resolution to a similar problem. We, we may not be able to remove you as owner, but what we can do is remove you in a point in a place that matters. City in the U.S. Senate is a place that matters. And so being able to remove someone with that divisive thinking um, was was huge, was major. And I want to think that the, I think that the last thing um, that really stands out to me is even if in in an alternate universe, even if we uh, they would not have been able to get the outcome that they received on January 5th, just being able to motivate millions of people to get out and vote is an accomplishment all on its own. And it makes me so proud as a black woman to say black women did that. Aside from the women in the WNBA, Stacey Abrams played a huge part. Latasha Brown played a huge part. Like these, like these women played a huge part in making a difference in the democratic process that so many people try to tell us your vote doesn't matter. Your vote doesn't count. And they proved not once, but twice, your vote does matter, your vote does count. And so I'm just so proud. I'm proud of them. I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud to witness. I'm proud to be able to tell my kids one day, hey, I saw this when this happened and I know some of these women who made it happen. Um, so I think we are, I think we're in the right, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and and you know, I, we don't want you to just listen to Tariq and I. We have Elizabeth Williams as a guest on the Around the Rim podcast um, coming up now, actually. And Elizabeth um, went to Duke, and she's actually from Virginia. Two up, two down. Shout out to VA. Um, <laughs> went to Duke, was a phenomenal player there. Was drafted to the WNBA, and is now the most tenured player on the Atlanta Dream roster, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, of course, I was both an analyst on the college level when Elizabeth played at Duke, but also I was the, the analyst for the WNBA, so and for the Atlanta Dream. And so this all hits very close to home for very many of us because I, I did work for the Dream under Kelly Leffler's time um, there as co-owner. And I've watched Elizabeth grow since she was a teenager. I mean, I met her for the first time when she was in high school. And um, to think of the position that she was in as a leader of this team, to campaign, actively campaign against the current co-owner is just, um, I don't know how many of us would have had the courage to do that. I know there's been times in my career where I've been concerned about my job or how my, my stance or my views on something may, have, may be taken. And for these women of the, of the WNBA, but in particular of the Atlanta Dream, to be so outspoken and campaigning against their co-owner is just incredible. And they were successful because if you have not heard, I'll say it again, Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock um, will now be representing Georgia in the Senate. So um, the work that these women has done is, is fantastic. They wore shirts. People learned who Warnock was. They campaigned for him um, using the platform of the WNBA, their games, their social. People learned more about Reverend Warnock. Um, you know, the Atlanta, the Atlanta Dream players um, sent out a statement. I mean, the work that these women have done, they've, they've talked to Reverend Warnock and had meetings with him and been involved with Stacey Abrams and Lisa Borders, as you will hear Elizabeth Williams talk about. But it, it was a long summer 
when you find out as a player in the WBA that your, your co-owner um, does not support your views on equality. So um, we're going to hear directly from Elizabeth Williams. We appreciate her time. And please, as always, feel free to tweet us at Around the Rim Pod. You can send us an email at aroundtherimpodcast at gmail.com. We do want to hear your thoughts. I'm at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. Tarika is at she knows sports underscore. And without further delay, here is Elizabeth Williams of the Atlanta Dream. Now we want to bring in Elizabeth Williams of the Atlanta Dream. Now, Elizabeth, uh, this effort by the WNBA to support Reverend Raphael Warnock was not just an Atlanta Dream thing. It was a WNBA, an entire league movement, which makes it, to me, even more historical and incredible. However, it was your co-owner, Kelly Leffler, who was running against Reverend Warnock. So essentially, you were campaigning to unseat the owner of your own team, what some would say your boss. Now, it might be easier if you were playing for Minnesota or DC or New York or Seattle to say, all right, Leffler needs to be gone and she's out of here. But this is someone who decides your livelihood. Take us back to the tipping point for you where you felt like what you believed in could be in the crosshairs with um, who basically employs you. Yeah, I think that that moment was when our co-owner wrote her letter to our league commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, basically denouncing the Black Lives Matter movement, saying, you know, you need to keep politics out of sports and, and all these things that were completely contrary to all the social justice work that our entire league had been doing. And I think a big turning point was our team had a Zoom call and we just talked about you know, how we were feeling, what this meant, and how we wanted to move forward. And you mentioned Zoom calls, and it's interesting as I am in my mind thinking about last summer, you're in Bradenton in this bubble. Um, you did have some players that did not join the team in Bradenton. So there's conversations happening at different levels. You're a member of the EC of the WNBA Players Association. So there's that level. There's a lot going on what was, how did the organization come about? I mean, you, from wearing t-shirts to Zooms with Reverend Warnock, which we'll get to in a moment, were you guys on like one big WhatsApp conversation or like, how are you getting all of this together and getting your feelings into a space where you could even make a decision for that impacted so many people? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of group chats going. I mean, every, every team has like, their player only group chat. And then like, you know, the one with the coaches and the staff, like, okay, you have to have like one with everybody on it. And we have our player reps, our EC. So there are a lot of different group chats. And when our team first had our conversation, it was via Zoom because we were still technically in quarantine, even though we were in Bradenton. So um, we had that. And then we weren't the only people like our team wasn't the only ones that felt really strongly. You know, there are other players throughout the league that made comments about what our owner had said. Um, you know, our union put out a statement. So it, it felt fitting that it ended up being like a league-wide initiative. And so we use our connections with Lisa Borders, former WNBA president who has a lot of political experience and Stacey Abrams, who's on our union's board of advocates. And obviously we know how powerful she has been in the political scene. And so 
having those connections, we were able to find out who Reverend Warnock was and eventually start to have conversations with him. Yeah, and so it went from these these comments from Kelly Leffler, which we went over a little bit earlier, but basically just denouncing the Black Lives Matter movement, which puts your team in, in this entire WNBA in a difficult position because you had just said, this is what we're dedicating our season to. Right. Um, so yeah. you're already, you've got that piece moving, but then she's running for Senate. So here it is that this woman who has this team of majority black women saying, listen, I'm not supporting Black Lives Matter. There's like this storm happening. And then Reverend Raphael Warnock. I mean, I just can't even believe how incredible this man is, but it was the time that he spent with you. What did he say to you guys on these calls and what resonated that you finally said, you know what? We're going to step out, we're going to wear these shirts, and we're putting our support behind Kelly Leffler's opponent. Well, we really like that he wasn't just a man of words, like he was a man of action. He'd been out protesting before. Um, you know, he had focuses on criminal justice reform, women's health, reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, all the things that we had kind of talked about um, as it related to social justice. And, um, and even his confidence, uh, a lot of people don't realize when we had our conversation with him, um, he said, you know, if I, even if I don't win in November, I'm going to win in January. And he felt like he was in a position where he could have a lot of momentum and create a, a lot of change. And for us, this was, this was huge. And it was a no brainer to support him um, as he supported a lot of the things that we did. And so when you, when you then look at the big picture of this and you step back and Kelly Leffler is still co-owner of the Atlanta Dream and Renee Montgomery is one person that stands out as someone who's reached out to her to have a conversation which she has denied. So there has been zero attempt um, by Kelly Leffler or her campaign or her, her camp or whatever to engage her own players or the WNBA or to even acknowledge what was happening this entire time. What happens now? That is, seems like the biggest question. Okay, so mm -hmm. Reverend Warnock is now Senator Warnock, right? The first black Senator of Georgia and tides have, have turned and it feels like even though, you know, obviously <laughs> last week was, don't even get me started on that. It feels like there's some things changing. Um, yeah. What happens now with, with Kelly Leffler? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we'll see some changes moving forward. Um, I think even on her part, it doesn't make sense for her to own a team at this point uh, based on, on everything and the fact that she, again, her values don't align with a lot of our league's values and our players' values. So I, I do think it's fair to say that that a change will happen. And there's obviously a lot of excitement around the ownership of our team. You know, we've seen tweets from LeBron and, and all these celebrities. So uh, I think in that regards, um, I'm excited for, for the future of the team. And I think uh, from a political standpoint, now with the Democrats having, you know, power in the Senate and also having the presidency, it's our opportunity to hold these politicians really accountable. Um, we did the work, we, we helped to get them in these seats. And now it's like, okay, all of the, the policies that we discussed and all the legislation that we discussed 
how can we make sure that this is all implemented moving forward? And being a, a piece of, of this, well, at the centerpiece, honestly, Elizabeth, of this movement by the WNBA and now seeing the power of what you guys were able to do and helping to flip the Senate ultimately. I mean, the history of this just gives me goosebumps to think about. Um, what did you learn as a, as a black woman, as a female athlete in this country, um, as someone that cares about our democracy? Like, what, as you look hindsight at everything, that just has transpired. What did it teach you about your place in the world, your power and the future of our country? Man, there's just so much work that goes into this. Um, thinking about, you know, talking to Stacey Abrams, thinking about all of the organizations that have been doing this work for such a long time. It is, it's a lot. And it felt really powerful that we could play some some role in this and we could use our unique platforms, being in the bubble, having nationally televised games to to make some sort of difference. So I think it, it just shows the power of the power of women, honestly, the power of black women. And, you know, we showed that there's a reason that people have been trying to silence these voices for such a long time because we really can make a huge difference. Man, I mean, that is like an understatement. I, I just still can't believe what took place. And, you know, when I'm thinking about what the WBA has always been told about your importance, it's like, oh, well, they don't have fans. Well, you're not going to make money. It's like value, value, value was always seen in a way of, okay, if there's not going to lead to money, if it's not going to bring people, we don't care about the WNBA. But the silent work that was put in, and, and let me just say, Elizabeth is in Turkey right now, okay, playing in her <laughs> second career as she's managing, trying to, up until last week, campaign for Reverend Warnock and she's making a living and doing lots of interviews and things which she's been fantastic in doing but it's like you guys the load that you were carrying in Bradenton was much more than playing every other day I was exhausted and keeping up with the pace of this summer because it was a condensed season but you guys were doing this you're meeting with Stacey Abrams you're talking to um, the African-American Policy Forum and, and involved with that with say her name and so many things happened um, what do you credit the movement? Like, what was the driving force in you all being able to educate all of us, not just on what was happening with the Georgia Senate race, but with the Say Her Name campaign, with Black Lives Matter, with everything that was happening in our country? What was driving you women when you have such dynamic careers and so much happening in your lives? Yeah, yeah. It was, gosh, there are so many moments, so many calls I think about. I think about these women that lost their lives to police brutality and having conversations with their families, like that is really heavy stuff. And I think a lot of times in these kind of hashtags and these movements, you lose the humanity of everything. And so I think us actually talking to these families, talking to people like Kimberly Crenshaw that have, have been you know, trying so hard to amplify these voices I think it was really powerful and inspiring for us. And I think for us, even on our days when, you know, we might've been really physically or mentally tired, we're reminded that what we're doing is, is a lot bigger than us. And um, like, we just wanted to keep moving forward. So I think that was one of the biggest drivers of what we were doing, just reminding ourselves of the humanity behind these, these movements. 
And you all continue to humanize it all the entire summer, you know, from dedicating a game to a different victim of police violence, a woman who was a victim of police violence. Like we got to learn every day about someone different. And yes, we did get to hear from their mothers because you all connected us to Kimberly Crenshaw. We got to hear from her and it was just, I think that's what people miss in all of this is they see politics and they see, you know, Black Lives Matter as a political movement, but this was about human rights. Um, and who better to be at the centerpiece of that than the Black women of the WNBA really being the voice for the voiceless. And you guys have just done a fantastic job. Now, my last question for you, Elizabeth, is we have seen like this change in you, it seems <laughs> like. Now, you and I talked a little bit coming into this conversation about, you know, what it looks like to be introverted and extroverted and all of those different things. But from your first protest this season to the speech you gave after Jacob Blake's shooting, which was just incredible. I mean, your team was a part of the decision that night for the WNBA to not play in the wake of his, his shooting um, to what you've done here with the Atlanta dream and the courage that you've shown and getting behind Reverend Raphael Warnock, Senator Raphael Warnock. Um, what have you learned about yourself? And what does this say about the future of who Elizabeth Williams is? That there's, there's always room to grow. There's always room to learn. And I think I got a lot of my energy from the woman in this league, honestly. You know, it's, it's one thing to have ideas in your head or to know kind of what's happening in the world, but it's another thing to actually put yourself out there. And I think having these incredible women beside me just kind of, it pushed me to want to speak up even more and speak out and um, to talk about the importance of these issues because they really, they really do matter and these lives really do matter. Yes, they absolutely do. Elizabeth, we appreciate your time. We know it's bedtime over there um, in Turkey. How's your season going? Are you playing on a team with anyone we would know? Um, I'm actually the only American this year. Um, oh. just like, yeah, just a different setup with my team this year, but, but we're doing pretty well. We're kind of where we're supposed to be. So, um, yeah, just, just hanging out, just <laughs> trying to stay COVID free, you know? Right. So. And you, you will be there until when? Um, the regular season, I believe ends in April, like early April. Okay. Okay, so you'll be right up against WNBA season again if we are to have a traditional yeah. start. Crazy. Well, yeah. Elizabeth, and you're 27. Did I read you're 27 years old now? Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> hard to believe, right? It's so hard to believe. I still remember young teenage Elizabeth, and I just want to say I, I'm so, so super proud of you. Never been more proud of you. I mean, I would watch you at Duke, and yes, I love the blocks, and I love, you know, what you've done with the Atlanta Dream. Everything on the court has been fantastic, and you've always been just brilliant, you know, and, and I love your blog with all the doctors this summer, but by <laughs> far what you have done um, to move the needle for Black women, for equality, for democracy, for all the things that really matter and will live long after we are gone, I am so, so, so proud of you, so Continue to do all the wonderful work you're doing. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you so much. That means a lot, Legina. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds.
All right, basketball fans. So before we end the show today, we definitely have to give a shout out to LaChina, who is doing so many amazing things that um, I don't know if y'all are paying attention. I'm a stalker, so I'm always stalking her Facebook, um, not her Facebook, her Instagram, um, and her Twitter account to see what she's doing. And she's cheating on us with another show that is on XM, uh, Sirius XM Radio in which She's talking to huge fans. It's been very interesting to see how some of the celebrities that we look at outside of sports talk about their fandom in sports. So China, give us some deets on this new project that you're doing and how we can tune in to listen. Well, thanks, Tarika. Um, basically, the Huge Fan Podcast is an extension of my love for sport. Uh, but I actually take it outside of basketball, which was a little nerve-wracking when I agreed to do this. But there's a fantastic team at SiriusXM um, who had this idea of getting the celebrity take on fandom. So I have conversations with Ashley Judd and Nelly, which is actually our most recent episode, uh, Michael Buble, uh, Tim McGraw, Lots of celebrities, Mel C, Sporty Spice, um, about their teams, their favorite teams and what it's like to be a fan of their team, some of the traditions, what game day is like, how they became a fan. And it's just, it's a lot of fun because you think about these celebrities that have a million things to do and they've got all these fans and you just don't think of them as being impressed because we're impressed by them, but they are just in awe of, of their teams and the organizations that they support. And so it's a lot of fun. The podcast is cool. You can check it out on Sirius XM app. Nice. So I'm going to keep encouraging everyone to continue to follow LaChina at LaChina Robinson. Continue to follow me at She Knows Sports underscore. Continue to follow the podcast at Around the Rim Pod. Tweet us your thoughts. Let us know what we're doing that you love. Let us know what we're doing that you don't love. Also, make sure you leave us a review if you're listening to us on Apple. We appreciate those. We listen to those. So we want to thank Michelle Volpo for joining us. Um, we want to thank Elizabeth Williams for joining us as well. Ella China, are you going to be on a call for any of these? You know, Tarika, I am actually going to be on the call for an ACC network tilt. That's right. If you are interested in listening to Pam Ward and I, we actually have two games this week on Thursday. Um, we will have Syracuse at Georgia Tech. The Cuse is coming off of a quarantine, of quarantine um, in isolation due to COVID. So we will be welcoming them back if all things go as planned on Thursday on the ACC network. And then on Sunday, Georgia Tech at Virginia. Georgia Tech has been playing very well. Nell Fortner's team um, got Kira Fletcher back in the lineup, a senior that has given them a ton of energy. Then they have, excuse me, Lorella Kubai, who is um, their starting center and had 20 rebounds in a game last week. She's a beast. And low to my Lotman. So they've got a fun team to watch. And those will be my next couple games. Awesome. Well, fans, you heard it here. Uh, I, I, I have nothing left. I think we gave a lot in this podcast today. So I have nothing left. So until next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.